Lord, this morning I was just uh, overcome as we were singing, you are here. We haven't just made you up, and you're not somewhere on the other side of the universe. You are here. Loving, living, moving, powerful, at work in our midst. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And this morning and in this coming year, make room in our hearts for whatever it is that you want to do in us. And whatever it is you want to do between us, whatever it is you want to do. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. You are the King. Good morning, Covenant family. Happy New Year. As we come into this new year, I have two questions that I want to put before you. The first question is this. What is the thing that we most want to be known for as a church, more than anything else? And here's the second question. Kind of comes at the same idea from a little bit of a different vantage point. If Covenant were suddenly to just be, to, to disappear, to just be suddenly removed from this community, would anybody notice? And if they did, why would they notice? What is the thing that they would miss the most in our absence? This morning, we want to orient you to the way that as a staff and as a session, we believe that God is calling us to answer those questions. To begin, I just want to bring you along on the journey that we've had over the past year as we've been involved in kind of an informal discernment process concerning what should be our primary emphases at this point in our church's life. Some of you have been here for a while, have heard me say that I believe that the most important quality of a, of a Christian leader is that we would lead as we are led. Leadership isn't something that we conjure up on our own, deciding for ourselves what we should do. The essence of leadership is listening to God voice and being faithful to his call on our lives. For the past year, we have both as a session and as a staff have been in uh, practicing a posture of discernment, been in a posture where we're seeking to be prayerfully attentive uh, to God's voice and God's leading and guiding. And here are some of the pieces that have come together in our listening process over the past year. First of all, we came into the, the new year uh, reading a book that Mike Sintera put into our hands that's called Canoeing the Mountains, a book by a Presbyterian pastor who then became a consultant and a, and a seminary professor, a guy named Todd Balsinger. And uh, the guide was really helpful for us in thinking about how to begin to shift our leadership style to become more of an adaptive and responsive and kind of experimental uh, approach uh, rather than kind of the long, drawn-out, strategic kind of planning process. And one of the things that Todd really encourages is uh, to recognize who isn't in the room when you are gathering and to, to bring their voices into your conversation. And we've, we've been uh, seeking to do that over the past year. One of the specific ways that we did that, and this is kind of the second tributary leading into some of our uh, discerning and reflecting, is uh, we had some focus groups that took place in the winter and spring uh, at the, in last year. And those were conversations about uh, your experience of our worship. A number of you took part in these. And also just any kind of general thoughts and perspectives about who we are and where we are as a church. And 
the invitation to those specifically was and intentionally skewed towards some of the younger people in our congregation as a way of hearing the voices of those who are coming up into our life as a church together. And it was interesting, a couple of themes were consistent in those. Uh, probably the number one theme that we heard throughout those was that the primary need that was articulated was, was a, a stated need for community, a sense of connection with one another in the church family. But it was interesting, even in articulating that consistent need and desire, it was also articulated that there was a hesitancy or a sense of not really knowing how to do that on their own. So while there was a, a sense of, wow, this really matters to us, everybody's kind of waiting for somebody else to step in and to bring that about, to help those community connections um, take place. One of the other themes that came up uh, along the way in those conversations was the theme of what could be called relevance, of wanting the church to be faithful to address some of the pressing uh, current cultural concerns that we see around us. Uh, a third uh, kind of um, vein in this was Doug Pollock's visit a year ago today. It's hard to believe that that was a year ago, wasn't it? Uh, his first visit with us. As Doug came to try to uh, further encourage and equip us in our efforts to to serve and love and listen our way into spiritual conversations with the people that God has already placed along our route in our lives. And I know for a number of us, that was a very significant time and very deeply encouraging. At the same time, part of why we invited him and part of what we've seen even since his coming is that um, there, there's a, uh, an odd disparity that we experience as a church family, where here we are as a, as a sizable church, and a church that is known for its spiritual vibrancy, but we have a difficult time looking at even a handful of people who have come to Christ as a result of this church's outreach efforts in the past couple of years. What accounts for that? And how do, how do we make sense of that? And how do we overcome the barriers that make that challenging for us? We have a deep love for Jesus, a strong commitment to, to uh, the church, a strong commitment to the scriptures, a strong commitment to engage in the world, but we don't see many people coming to Christ. A third or a fourth part of this kind of reflection was just stepping back and kind of considering uh, what we see in terms of the health and effectiveness of a number of our different ministry areas. And for the past several years, we've actually been talking about how we see uh, in the culture around us a declining ability or declining level of just kind of basic relational skills. How do you just acknowledge a person, interact with a person, uh, ask questions of a person, pursue them, listen well, and follow up on the things that they're talking about? And we've just kind of watched as a culture as a whole, those basic abilities decline, and seeing some of that leak its way into the church, seeing some places where uh, we may lean a little bit towards introversion as a church and maybe some relational hesitancy. Uh, we've talked about the very significant impact of this thing on our relationships. That's a picture of Shepard, by the way. Um, and, and the way that, uh, that the, the phone at the same time leads us feeling more connected in a way with people, but also actually has uh, atrophied our ability to just have a face-to-face, one-on-one conversation with someone that comes into our lives. So we've been reflecting on some of the ways that, that some of that declining uh, skill set has impacted areas of our ministry, like how we build community, how we interact with each other, uh, between and after services, 
uh, how we interact in our learning communities, what our, the health of our grow groups is like, what the health of our families is like as we raise up the next generation in Christ, uh, how effective we are in mentoring people who are kind of coming along behind us in the faith, and how effective we really are in, uh, in interacting with the people that we experience in the world around us uh, as we uh, seek to share our faith and to live it out more effectively. Uh, then uh, another dimension that, that uh, plays into all of this, you'll remember our summer experience. Uh, and this came in part out of these conversations that we had in the fall and out of the reading we did with, um, in Todd Balsinger's book of wanting to, um, to experiment with some of, the, some of some changes that we could make as a way of trying to respond to some of the identified needs that we were hearing. So you remember that we had uh, single service all together and then we uh, followed that up with a, a kind of a connection or community experience. And what we, ex what we heard back from you as a result of that and, and watched was fascinating. We saw on the, um, I mean, almost a, an overwhelmingly positive response. And we saw uh, people saying, wow, I've been, I've been sitting next to some of the same people for 18 years in worship and never really gotten to know them. Thank you for just providing a safe uh, and guided setting in which I could begin to go deeper with some of the people that I've been uh, have had around me in this church family. And, and we saw some people taking some really significant risks to uh, participate in that. At the same time, and, and this just has caused us to scratch our heads, we saw a number of people who said, I already know all the people that I want to know. I think I'm just going to opt out of this experience. And, um, and we, we actually think that somewhere around a third of our congregation just chose to opt out of the entire summer experience. What does that tell us about ourselves and um, maybe even our own struggles to figure out how to move towards each other as a church family? So all of those things uh, were things that led us to consider, you know, God, what are, what are you calling us to, to change or to consider as possibilities as we come into the fall? So we were thinking about with these, these identified um, uh, kind of desire for a deepening sense of community and connection, you know, we've, we've talked through how could we change our, our Sunday morning schedule? Could we change our physical space? Maybe change from pews to chairs that could be moved around if we wanted to do that. What about changing the way we approach our adult learning communities and those experiences to make them more relationally based? Are there, uh, you know, the name tags that we've done, setting up a, a kind of a connection place over here, a fellowship area, so that those uh, who, are, who remain up here in this room after services can have a chance to interact with each other. So we've been um, considering and wrestling through a number of those kinds of changes, but that we knew we, that those were sort of smallish changes that really didn't get at the heart of the issue. But even in saying that, we weren't really clear what the heart of the issue was. What is the thing that God is really wanting to do among us, uh, together with us as a church? You know, we thought we could take each of these areas, uh, building more relationships, developing a sense of usness, uh, the, the greater evangelism effectiveness, growing in our mentoring, and uh, becoming more relevant as a church, and so on. And we could take each of those things and problem solve them and organize them and strategize for them and come up with a ministry plan for them but we didn't really feel like the, the cumulative effort of all of that was really where God was leading us or would really get to the heart of the issue. We continued to feel there was something else that we hadn't yet put our finger on. 
All of that culminated in November uh, in a retreat when our uh, staff lead team, our ministry implementation team, the, the, um, what we call the MIT, uh, headed away for a few days to, to grow deeper in our connections with each other and also to worship together and to listen and pray. And over lunch one day, we were talking about where God has us as a church and where we sensed uh, that he was intending to lead us. And all of us together had the sense of, of God just visiting that moment and breaking through and answering with clarity these questions that we've been prayerfully wrestling with for so long. So the way that that unfolded brings me back to the two questions with which I started this conversation. What is the thing that we want to be known for most in the community? This is a question that Andrew has just been consistently asking over the past number of months in a really helpful way. When people encounter us in the grocery store or at the gym or at the lunch cafeteria, what would we want them most to experience from us? Wouldn't it be our love? Not first our political affiliation or our moral convictions, but our warm welcome, our kind regard, our thoughtful questions, our acts of compassion and sacrifice, the love of God pouring us through, through us to them. The second question is, so if covenant were suddenly removed from the community, would we be missed? And if so, why and for what? This is a question that Travis has been putting in front of us. Uh, and, and again, we found this to be helpful. Well, wouldn't we want the thing that people miss most from us be our love for them? I mean, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the opening verses of chapter 13, if we speak God's word with power, revealing all of its mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if we have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, and if we give everything we own to the poor, but we don't love, then we've done nothing and we've gotten nowhere. According to a new Barna poll that you may have seen, only one in three Americans have a positive view of evangelical Christians. Our culture sees the church, especially the evangelical church, as being in the bashing business. But we're not. We are in the loving business. That got me thinking about my experience with Sharon a year ago, summer, when we were blessed to receive from this church our sabbatical experience. We went to England and, uh, and, and saw the future of the United States in a lot of ways. In terms of the church and the spiritual climate and secularization and its advance, the UK is the United States about 35 years from now. It's the trajectory that we're on. And here's what struck me. On the one hand, there is a sense in which the church has become completely irrelevant to the society. Despite efforts on the part of the church to be fatty and to be relevant, to be catchy, things like miniature golf courses in 800-year-old sanctuaries as a way of trying to bring people into the church, and laser light shows and concerts and plays, all the efforts to scramble to get the, church, the world to come into the church, none of those were of interest to the culture around them. It's clear that the church has largely lost its stature in the culture. And I think that's the direction that our culture is going as well. On the other hand, while the church has lost its stature, it hasn't lost its relevance. And in fact, its relevance has only grown. 
What is the one thing that the church uniquely has to offer? It's the love of God lived out within a loving family that's called the church. That's something you can't find in a local pub or at the fitness center or in the workplace, school. And that's what we experienced in England. When we went to worship, we experienced communities of love that were of the deepest sort of relevance today because they meet the deepest felt needs of the people who come in contact with the members of the church, not through a program, but by their encountering Jesus in those that they meet who are part of the church. There was a powerful sense for us of God speaking and leading us and humbling us at our MIT retreat, culminating almost a year of listening and praying and discussing. That God was calling us to become a church family known more than anything else for our love. And that addresses the, the core issue in all of the disparate areas that we were identifying, our need for community and for connection and, and for mentoring and for evangelism and for relevance and a number of different areas. The session in its parallel and shared discernment process with the MIT has affirmed that this is our top emphasis for the next few years. So it took you 10 months to come up with that? To be a loving church? Yeah, it did. We believe that God has made it clear to us that the work that he most desires to do in us and through us as a church is to make us a community of love. And that is not to say, and please hear this, we talked about this often, that is not to say that there are not many ways that God's love already finds beautiful expression between us in this church and through us uh, out in this community. There are so many ways that you all live out the love of God. And it's actually, I think, one of the things we're already known for somewhat in the community. But we believe that God wants to do a new and a deeper work in us in this area to bring us to a place where the love of God doesn't just inform us, but it defines us. Imagine with me what it would be like if God's love defined us more than anything else as a people. If when we came into an interaction with another person, they have a sense that they truly come first that we have put them ahead of ourselves. If when we are with others, we become known for how well we ask questions and how attentively we listen to the answers, more concerned with hearing what, what is on the hearts of others than with telling what is on our heart. If when we finish a conversation with someone, even the most peripheral person to our lives, the person filling our order at the deli or dropping off a package on our doorstep or waiting at our table, if they feel that they are valued and they are worth acknowledging and pursuing, if when we have interactions with people whose racial or ethnic or national background is different from our own, they feel us going out of our way to cross those lines of difference and to move toward them and befriend them. If when we have conversations with people whose morals and beliefs are starkly different from our own, they feel our deep acceptance and not our judgment. If when we come together, we think of the church not as a place where we go, but as a family that we are glad to be part of and eager to spend time with. 
If when we encounter friction or misunderstanding or hurt with one another, we work it out in healthy and gracious ways, and we go right on living and loving side by side. If when people visit, the welcome that they receive from us in our pews is so warm, and the hospitality that they receive in our homes is so genuine, that our greeting ministry becomes redundant and unnecessary. If when our neighbors find themselves in trouble or in difficulty, or our fellow students, our coworkers, we are the first people they come to because they know they will receive a response of love from us. If when we encounter need in this world, we walk toward it instead of away from it, and we are generous and sacrificial in our response to it. And finally, if when people spend time with us, they cannot help but ask, what is it about you? that makes you so different. Doesn't that sound inviting? Wouldn't you want to be part of something like that? I believe that that's what God is calling us to together as the Covenant Church family. We believe that this is the invitation that God is putting in front of us as a church. It's his invitation, and frankly, in some parts of our life together, it's his correction inviting us to love more, to love better, to love more deeply, to love more faithfully in a way that reflects his love for one another and for this world. So at least for the time being, we are going to be reframing our statement of calling and instead of this, know Jesus, grow with his people and go to the world, we're reframing our statement of calling to this, love Jesus, love one another and love the world. And we're going to spend the next year or so, as long as God calls us to it, learning together what it means to love well, going all the way back to the most foundational elements of what love looks like and what love requires of us and what it means for us to live a life of love. But if we were to start there, these are the steps we need to take to love more effectively, it would only become one more task, one more ministry goal. And that's not what we believe God is calling us to. We believe that God is calling us to live a life of love, not to perform love as one more Christian class. And for that to become a reality, we believe that God is calling us to start further back. Start at the beginning, not with our efforts to love others, but with God's efforts to love us. As 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved us. So for the next six or eight weeks, we're going to be just focusing on what God's love for us is like. And as we do that, we're going to invite God to establish us, to root us and ground us in his love for us. And then our love for the people that God puts around us will be nothing more than the the outpouring, the overflowing of his love for us. During these first couple of months, we're going to be focusing on one portion of Scripture specifically, and that is on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. When you came in this morning, each of you received a bookmark with this verse printed on it. We want every person in this congregation to have this, because this verse is not just going to be our teaching focus as a church, this will be our praying focus as a church. We don't want to just talk about this. We don't want to just teach on this. We want to Pray that God would make this his God-forged reality in us. That's why we're asking every single 
person in the church to do four things. Every man, every woman, every student, every child. First of all, pray this prayer for the church every day for this year. And don't just pray it on your own. Pray it everywhere in the life of the church that you come together with others. When you're gathering with others in your grow groups, your Bible studies, your learning communities, when staff members come together for their meetings, I want to encourage us to pray this prayer with one another and for one another. Second, memorize it. That's why we put this in your hands. This is the, um, this version of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, is the 1984 NIV translation, which is the one that we use in our pew Bibles, and we think this is a really faithful translation. Evidently, this is the NIVS translation that is the southern version of the NIV translation because verse 19 says that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. (laughs) So pray it, memorize it, which you cannot help but do if you're praying it every day, Third, study it. We don't want you to miss a single Sunday as we become familiar with this wonderful passage. We want you to do everything you can to be here Sunday mornings. And if you can't, if you're sick or if you're out of town, then we want you to listen to our podcast or pull the the message up on our website and listen to it. We want every one of us to be here together as we walk through this as a church family. And don't just rely on what we tell you that this passage means. Do your own study. Outline it. Underline it. Look for the themes in it. Read it in different translations. I think the uh, New Living Translation of this passage is exceptional and would really encourage you to read it. It's a great interpretive guide. Pray it. Memorize it. Study it. And finally, talk about it. Everywhere you go in the life of this church and in the life of your own family, we encourage you to just talk about it around the table at your home. Ask the people that you are interacting with about other aspects of our life as a church. Ask them about this as well. How is this passage impacting you? What's it been like for you to be praying it for other people? How are you finding your own heart beginning to change? What difference is this making in your day-to-day life? Let's be having that conversation with one another. So would you make that commitment with us? Would you commit to praying, memorizing, studying, and talking about this passage over the coming year? All right, let's turn to the passage now, and we're just going to do this very briefly. I'm aware of the time. I'm just going to read it through, and then I'm just going to point out one important element of this passage, and then we'll, we'll have a chance to pray it through together and be done for the morning. So I just want to encourage you to follow along. Either uh, turn to this in your pew Bible or pull out your bookmark or look at it on the screens as we read this through, however you want to do it. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21, and you'll see as we go along that I put the three main petitions, the three main prayer requests of this prayer in bold, just as a way of making them stand out. So it kind of reminds us of the structure of this prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love 
may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Let's say the amen together. Amen. Now, here's the one thing that I want you to notice about this passage this morning. And I'm guessing that a number of you already noticed this. Did any of you notice how often the theme of strength or power showed up in this passage? Why is that? It's mentioned twice in verse 16 that, you, that he will strengthen you with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. It's mentioned Again, in verse 18, that you may have power to grasp the boundless nature of God's love. And it's mentioned twice in verse 20. The first one is a bit hidden, where it says he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. That Greek word is actually the word that we get our word dynamite from. It's the word dunamis. So it's talking about God's power It's saying he he is powerful to do more than we can ask or imagine. And then again, in verse 20, the same theme comes up again, according to his power that is at work in us. Five times in a prayer that's just two sentences long in the original Greek. And each time, it's for the same essential thing. Power to be established in, power to understand, power to know the love of God for us. What does all that focus on the power of God in this prayer tell you? Isn't it true that power from outside of ourselves is only necessary when our strength or our effort or our resources aren't enough? I think of when I called the Helping helping Hands folks and Larry Hudson used a chain hooked up to the front of his Suburban to yank out an out-of-control barberry bush with roots that ran all the way down to the Kerguelen Islands on the other side of the planet. And he pulled that out using a power that I didn't have. Or I think of the time that in desperation I called up Tony Kane because I was in my suburban out in a field and in trying to get myself out of that muddy field, I sank myself down into that muddy field up to my running boards. I was completely stuck and could do nothing to extract myself. I needed the power that he had. You only look for outside help when the task is too great for you, when it's not something you can do. Paul intends to make this incredibly clear that there is no way for us on the basis of our own effort to be able to experience God's love for us, let alone understand it or live it out. We cannot bring that about in ourselves no matter how much we try to muster it up. And this is a universal human shortcoming. It's true for every one of us, this inability on our own to grasp, to fully receive the love of God for us. We cannot get past our human paradigm of love, which is based on self and effort, and we cannot get past our human experience of love, which always has a dimension of failure in it. 
Only God can bring us to a place where we enter into and we begin to understand and then we begin to live out his amazing and boundless love for us. Which is why we're starting off by focusing on prayer and not instruction. This is why we are calling this congregation to pray together for a work that none of us can do ourselves. So let's begin a year of praying for one another, praying that God would establish us in his love for us. Let's begin by praying this passage right now. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to pray it through out loud, or just read it through out loud again. I'm just going to pause after each of the main sections. And then when I pause, in silence, I just want to encourage you to paraphrase whatever is the thing you just heard or are reading along with. Paraphrase that and turn it into your own prayer for this church family. So listen again to these words and let them guide us um, and lead us into our year of prayer together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. together God's family said,